The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. Does the sound okay? You can't hear it? You can hear it okay. Good. Good. Why don't we all come closer, since there's only a few of us in here. told me you had to leave early, so that's okay. So, um, welcome. It's nice to be here with all of you. Andrea is visiting her parents in the Midwest, so she asked me if I would come this morning. So for those of you who don't know me, my name is Robert Cusick, and um, I've been with IMC since it was in Palo Alto. 27 years ago. So it's nice to be here with you this morning. And uh, I wanted to uh, talk this morning about uh, the Brahma Viharas, the sublime states. And I have some thoughts that I prepared, but It occurs to me that uh, people come to these talks and they bring their life with them. They bring their issues with them, the things that are up for them, important for them, challenging them, whatever. And sometimes the teacher has an idea to talk about something and it doesn't quite, maybe it doesn't quite address what's actually up. So I want to just express that um, my desire is to meet all of you at some place that's meaningful. Um, It's not always possible, but at least that's the intention. So when when I talk about these states, these sublime states, these Brahma Viharas, Even to use the word sublime, sort of, uh, it seems a little bit sometimes more like a fairy tale than a real possibility, uh, because we're, you know, we've got so many things going on in our world and in our life, so many things that are touching us, challenging us. But these states really are sublime because they emerge out of a quality of love. And um, when, when we touch into these, these qualities like loving kindness and compassion and sympathetic joy and equanimity, when we touch into these qualities, um, we touch a part of ourselves which actually helps us be with whatever it is that we're dealing with in our life. It really helps us um, touch qualities within us 
that support us and can sustain us. So if, if, um, if we're wishing loving kindness for someone, it's not just the wish of for them to be happy. It's, it's also cultivating uh, a quality within us of uh, non-aversiveness. So when we're wishing well, we can't be we can't be in an aversive state. We're free from aversion momentarily, temporarily. When we're wishing someone compassion or feeling compassion for someone or even for ourselves, momentarily we're free from the quality of resistance and aversion. It's normally part of the just the normal flow of our of our day-to-day lives. So uh, these four states of loving kindness and compassion, sympathetic joy and equanimity, they help us sustain our our practice in relationship, in relationship to one another and also in relationship to ourself. So, so there's an intention to, to, um, to touch a quality within ourselves or for someone else that's, that's uplifted, that's spacious, that's without boundaries and it's free from hatred. It's free from aversion and um, ill will towards others or towards ourselves. You can't feel ill will towards someone and feel loving kindness at the same time. Think about it. Do you agree? Can you? you? So, um, so maybe I should just say uh, briefly, give just a little definition of of what what I'm referring to when I'm talking about metta or compassion, sympathetic joy. So these qualities emerge out of love. So, so loving kindness um, is a quality that's uh, imbued with a, with a sense of appreciation, a sense of goodwill, a sense of friendliness, a sense of wishing someone well, wishing them to live with ease, to be free from the kinds of things that disturb them, cause them trouble, cause ourselves to tr- trouble. So it has this quality of appreciation to it. And that's the, that's the flavor. It's a friendly, friendly quality. And it's, um, this wishes without any sense of, um, uh, the other person needing to give anything back to us. It's just, I really wish you to be happy, to be free from the troubles that are troubling you. This is my wish. Compassion is a response to, always and only a response to suffering. So it's that same wish, it's that same expression of love but it's responding to suffering. So if you're having some difficulty that you're dealing with and 
and it's causing you trouble, it's causing you stress, it's causing you to suffer, the response of the heart is naturally a response of of compassion. And compassion always has embedded in it the wish to alleviate the suffering, the wish to mitigate the suffering. So that's how you can tell the difference between compassion and loving kindness. You see? So people will sometimes say, oh, you know, I'm, I'm, wishing, I'm, I'm wishing you well, I'm wishing you loving kindness um, when you're suffering, but actually they're not realizing that the quality that they're touching is the f- really the flip side of loving kindness. It's, it's an expression of the heart wanting to respond to heal the suffering in some way. Compassion also has embedded in it the motivation to do something to heal the suffering if there is something that can be done, which doesn't mean to fix it. Sympathetic joy is feeling for someone, delight for their good fortune. And when you feel this quality, it's called mudita, when you feel this quality, um, there's, if you check into it, you'll see there's no, you're not thinking about yourself at that time. You're just feeling the delight for someone else. So you might see a child um, learn how to jump in the deep end of the swimming pool for the first time and know that they're not going to sink or drown and they accomplish this big thing or they get their balance and the training wheels go off and you just delight for them. You see, it's just for them. It's, you're just delighting in delight someone else's good fortune. And equanimity has that quality. It's a quality of love, but it has a quality of um, sort of... Um, uh, it's spacious accepting. There's, it's non-resistance. It's a, a, a feeling of being free. So these sublime states are based on our ability to relate to other beings and to ourselves in a healthy way, in the ebb and flow of the circumstances that actually make up our daily life. It's not something that we have to go off to a, uh, a cave and, and sit and um, uh, cultivate these <laughs> Good wishes. We can do this in in the in the flow of our daily life. So, <clears throat> but we all recognize that as human beings, I think we do at least that we all have limitations. Do you agree? <laughs> we all have limit limitations. So, so when things are going our way and when we're not pressured when we're not challenged by, by, by circumstances, by other people, when the situation is low pressure, you know, we feel fine. We say, oh, it's a good day, I'm happy today. Um, and uh, when, when we're getting, you know, some positive attention and we feel good about ourselves, it's easy to respect ourselves then. But it's not so easy when, um, when somehow we feel 
um, less than or beaten down. So these limitations form boundaries within which we feel alive and receptive and outside of which we oftentimes just shut down. We go numb or we seek to escape. So when things are are going well, what happens for most of us is that we, you know, we're really present, we're engaged, we're, we feel this aliveness, we're, we feel the embodiment of this quality. But when we're outside those, when things aren't going so well, we often immediate look, immediately look for ways to escape, to antidote the problems that we're having. And oftentimes we go numb or we go into a state of um, distress and overwhelm. So <clears throat> if we were going to talk about it in psychological terms, we would say that sometimes when that happens, we have a, like a sort of a hyper response, which is associated with like um, just really getting upset and reactive and uh, uh, just feeling overwhelmed. And, and the opposite would be a hypo response where people just shut down and do what they're going to do and then try to disconnect from the circumstances of the people that they're with. If the people are, are what they're associating the problem to be. So <clears throat> these sublime states um, are therefore really not just about being nice to other people, just about wishing other people to be well. They're about feeling what's going on within us and freeing ourselves from those deadening states, those deadening qualities that happen when we move into like a reactive position. And so if we can extend goodwill, the goodwill that's associated with metta, with loving kindness, if we can do that more constantly, independent of circumstances, our ability to be free from these underlying states of anxiety or guilt or bitterness or cynicism or depression, our ability to be free from that actually increases. Does this make sense? Yes? So, so when, when we think about it, it's obvious that all these difficult states actually arise out of ill will. They arise out of wishing things to be other than the way that they are and not being able to accept or handle the way things are. So just as hatred, spite, uh, spite abuse, even the act of belittling another person in our own mind, all of that arises out of ill will. You see? Even just thinking poorly of another person. Now, of course, you know, some people are irritating. And so we think that in this way. But the... <clears throat> 
the irritability and the rejection of the other person, the judging of the per- other person, that has a real quality, a really a real negative quality, and that and and that can only be an expression of ill will. If you think about it, so the prejudices that justify bi- violence, you see, the prejudice that justified violence is violence is based on the bias that other beings don't count for much. So that young disturbed man, that 19-year-old boy who just cut through a fence and murdered all those people in Gilroy, you see, the (coughs) the prejudice in his mind that justified violence was based on, uh, on this bias that other people just don't count. They don't make any difference at all. They don't count for much. You see, this kind of blind confusion, this kind of ill will taken to the extreme can can result in acts like this. And this abusive kind of thinking also undermines the well-being of the person thinking it. So not only do we in, inflict it on other people, but it, it eats us up as well. So, <clears throat> so when we're cultivating these qualities or when we're learning to meditate, at a certain point it becomes obvious to us <clears throat> gradually that Whatever we think or feel, we are the direct and primary recipient of whatever we think or feel before another person feels it. So if I'm feeling ill will towards you, before you have a clue that I'm feeling any kind of negativity towards you, who's being stung by that poison? I am. You see, and conversely, if I'm thinking loving thoughts of you, thoughts of compassion and kindness and generosity, before you have a clue or anyone else has a clue, before I give even the slightest body language signal to you that I'm thinking this, I'm already swimming in this loving kindness and goodwill. And, and, I'm also free from ill will. See, when I'm feeling this, I'm literally free from ill will. So for a moment, I'm living in a very rarefied, sublime state, a very rarefied, beautiful state of love. You see? It's a... Oftentimes people think that the, these practices are just wishing other people well, and they are about wishing other people well. But we don't recognize that when we're wishing other people well, the benefit that comes to us just from a few moments of being free from the normal chatter and flow of ill will that you know just fills our experience from moment to moment during our days, our normal day-to-day experience. 
So the, the, that kind of abusive thinking undermines the well-being of the thinker. In other words, us. So <clears throat> ill will, we can look at ill will a little bit. It stems from being unable to release things like anger or grief or fear. We're, we're just holding on to these things. And... Um, if we don't use compassion and benevolence to deal with anger and grief and fear, to acknowledge that we hurt, to acknowledge that's a hurt state and to heal it, then we're, we're forced to try and manage it. You see? If, we're, if, we, if we don't hold it in kindness... And, and allow a natural kind of healing to occur. You know, if the body gets wounded in some way or bruised in some way, the body will, will left to itself, assuming that it's not, you know, catastrophic, the body will restore balance and heal itself. So... It's natural for us to be frightened. It's natural for us to grieve the loss of things that we treasure and love. It's natural for us to get angry. It's normal for us to have those things. But we can hold those kinds of things in this field of, of compassion, in this field of love. And that allows a gradual, natural healing to occur and if we can't meet ourselves in that way with that level of kindness then we're forced literally to try and figure out how to fix the situation or manage the problems and then this is how we spill into to ruminating over and getting into trouble and so on and so forth so when we try to manage situations, when we try to manage our lives in that way, we, we will find that we'll sometimes deny what's happening. We'll just sh- shrug it off. We won't pay attention. Or we'll blame other people. It's your fault. You know, if, it, if, if you out there weren't causing me this trouble in this agitation everything would be fine so it's your fault or we sometimes think that we really don't deserve any better so it's a it's a form of of a lack of respect for ourselves you see you see when <clears throat> when we when we allow ourselves to to move into a, a mind state where we're blaming or we're, we're uh, denying or these qualities. It's a, it's a way of not respecting ourselves because this is this is it's hurtful and we you know 
we wouldn't necessarily do that to another person as quickly. Most of us wouldn't. But, but we will do that to ourselves. We'll withhold this kind of kindness for ourselves. So part of it is learning how to be in relationship to yourself so that you see when you are shrugging something off, when you are denying something, when you are blaming others, or when you are thinking that, you're, that you just don't deserve any better. So <clears throat> these sublime states, these states of loving kindness <clears throat> and compassion are innate. They're just part of us. They're evolutionarily built into us. And we could talk a a whole lot about that. However, even though they're innate in us, they get sealed off by curtailing the very process where these painful feelings can heal themselves. We, We shut them down. But when the heart is open... It can be fully with whatever hurt is there when the heart is open. And it can give it the energy. This is the power of compassion. It can give it the energy that allows it to heal just as the body can heal a wound. You see? We have to, though, learn what it feels like to open the heart and to let the heart do its work, which is simply to hold our troubles and allow them to heal. It's not like we're not going to have troubles. We're human beings. Being human means that we are going to have troubles. I think we can, I can safely say most of us here would probably agree to that. So we're not trying to pretend that we're not having troubles. We're just trying to be in relationship to the actual experience that we have without abandoning ourselves with kindness, without pushing it away, without trying to manage it, without trying to fix it. You see, fixing is different than, than holding something in compassion. You know, if something can be fixed, by all means fix it. But... <clears throat> Sometimes things can't be fixed. Sometimes we get so agitated and we're so distressed and we're so lost and we're so worried and we're so concerned that it's absolutely impossible to fix that situation, you see? So to to recognize that um, is to... To recognize that is to respect yourself, you see? And when we don't allow this heart opening to happen for, this, for these qualities to, to stir in us and, and to be embodied, then the process of healing gets cut short, you see? We, 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 um, we interrupt it, we, we abandon it in some way. And when it gets cut short, these, shut, these shortcuts can include things like, um, it can express in ways like, we'll lash out at whatever has triggered our pain. 
in our distress. So there's a kind of a lashing out quality. We might criticize ourselves for having a sense of hurt, thinking that it's somehow a sign of weakness or foolishness or silliness on our part in some way. You say, again, it's it's just another form of not respecting ourselves. Or we might, the shortcut might express as denial, where we literally don't acknowledge the painful feeling that we have. It's just grit your teeth and get through it. Have you ever experienced anything like this? We might even dismiss being sensitive altogether, like this is a bad thing. It's better to just go numb. You see? So instead of a temporary uh, retraction caused by whatever negative trigger is happening, anger or fear or grief as the example, what we do is we get a long-term contraction. You see? We actually begin to build habits of mind that are responses to shutting down rather than opening up. So the practices of kindness and compassion, they really don't rest upon us manufacturing certain emotional states. They don't rest upon us. um, um, I don't want to say generating, that's not the right word, but, um, you know, it... We don't have to artificially manufacture goodwill. It it emerges out of us naturally. And it's based upon ways of adjusting our, our impressions and our perceptions to allow this kind of natural relational health to come forth. You see, when, when you're suffering, or when a loved one is suffering, and you can touch into these qualities, this will be an, it's a way to let health, re-est- let health be reestablished, let balance be reestablished, rather than reacting, reacting, and, and not realizing that, these, that the reaction oftentimes is emerging out of a sense of ill will or not being able to let go and release negative triggers, anger, grief, fear, you see? This holding on, this contraction. So so the cultivation of metta or loving kindness isn't isn't about imposing an idea of liking or loving everyone all the time. It would be great if we could do that one day. <laughs> We'd all be Mother Teresa and the Dalai Lama if we could do that. But rather it's a specific practice, and I, this is important, it's a specific practice of meeting the mood of the moment 
free of aversion. It's meeting whatever is there without aversion. So it's wishing other people well, but that's not all. It's learning how to meet what scares us without aversion, what shuts us down without aversion, without this quality of ill will. And this non-aversion frees up the intent of our mind and allows us to return to this natural state of kindness and compassion. When the mind isn't hindered by ill will and aversion, we can naturally move to the place where we would heal. You know, when an animal is sick, it goes and lies in the corner. It doesn't run around and, you know, it does what it needs to do to take care of itself. And there's ways that we can take care of itself. So, so when the mind is free from this quality of aversion, we can return to this more natural state where there's a kind of homeostasis that can take place. And we can do this towards ourselves and we can do this towards other people. So we might still feel the pang, the resonance of losing contact with something pleasant or being touched by something unpleasant. But yet we're able to curtail that that contraction from moving into bitterness and and depression and anger and lashing out. So so we learn to support ourselves in a feeling of what it's like to let these these emotions I'm gonna call them emotions just flow through us. We may still feel hurt but we're not damaged by the hurt. See, we're not trying to ignore that life will sometimes, we'll have, we'll meet the mind of anger, we'll meet the mind of fear, we'll meet the mind of grief, we'll meet the mind of, you name it, jealousy, envy, all of those triggering qualities, you see? And it will hurt. Anger hurts. It doesn't feel good. You see? And and one of the ways that 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 mindfulness helps us is when we see the hurt, when we feel it directly, we know, okay, this is the insight. When you feel anger, it hurts. It hurts. Anger is not is not good. It's natural, but it's not, you know. So now there's sometimes anger is quite appropriate, but in all cases, I think anger hurts. The idea here is that we don't contract around it, hold on to it, cling to it, and are damaged by it. We can let it just flow through us. We can growl and then move on. So in all of this, we really do need mindfulness. We need mindfulness to be able to see what is going on within us and um, to, to recognize when, when 
to recognize what it is we're feeling, to recognize, is this a feeling of compassion? Is this a feeling of loving kindness? Is this a feeling of metta, equanimity? Or is this a feeling of, of something that's negatively charged? So we enter the practice by first establishing a mind state that isn't affected by ill will. And, and then we try to reflect on and linger that, in that state. So when we're, we're practicing metta, we just, when we, we begin the practice, it's just feel into what it's like to have a sense of being just momentarily free from all sense of aversion, from all sense of ill will. And just reflect on that. Bring your attention onto this state of well-being or a, a basic okayness that amplifies that sense of well-being. And let yourself feel it. Let it in, that sort of suffuse you with this sense of freedom. And, and these qualities, these innate qualities, will emerge naturally on their own. They simply will. When love, one of my monastic teachers describes compassion so succinctly, I love this. When love meets suffering directly, not the resistance to suffering, but the actual suffering directly, the heart's natural response is compassion. You see? When love meets suffering, the heart Respond, the heart opens with compassion. And I love this definition because it takes you and me off the hook. We don't have to manufacture compassion. We can't make ourselves feel compassionate. Compassion is a natural response to the heart meeting suffering directly. And this, this holding of the suffering is, is how compassion heals. See, it doesn't deny the truth of any aspect of whatever the suffering is. You see, it doesn't try to hide from it. It doesn't try to deny it. It doesn't try to push it away. <laughs> you know, I don't like to, I, I don't like this, like, love it or befriend it. And I, I, I suppose befriend it, <laughs> be, be friendly towards it or something. But, but the fact is that, that compassion has this ability to take the entire catastrophe without any, without eliminating any part of it or denying the reality of any part of it, holding it all and 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 this is how compassion heals. This is the power of compassion. Power of compassion is to learn what it's like to be with your experience directly without abandoning yourself, without hiding from it, just letting it flow through you. You know, when we're grieving, 
we need to grieve. We need to let it flow through us. We do. The grief is powerful. Grief is really powerful. Anger is, all of these emotions are really powerful and we, we need not to deny them and just react to them over and over and over again because we, 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 we learn to c- cultivate mental responses, mental behaviors that are rooted in unexamined assumptions that, that support the belief that we do not have the capacity to be with what life throws at us. And life is going to throw things at us all the time. You see? Day, day in and day out. Little things, medium-sized things, and horrendous things. You see? And when we just are constantly trying to get away from it, to antidote it, to hide from it, to, you know, lash out against it, and so on and so forth, we're cultivating a belief system that tells us that we don't have the ability or the capacity to be with the experience that we're actually having. And therefore, we abandon ourselves in in some way to the degree that we shut ourselves down and shut other people out we abandon ourselves and and that might seem like a completely normal thing for people to do but this is how we learn to disrespect ourselves you see when 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 we shut down against our own experience it's a form of disrespect. It feels like it's a form of self-protection. And sometimes we have to do that. I mean, some, so when I, when I talk about this, I really want to be clear that, um, uh, I'll go back to what I, I said earlier, we all have limitations, you see? And so if we're traumatized by something, we need to be, respectful of the fact that there's there's a boundary there and we need to touch it um, uh, with kindness and friendliness and respect so <clears throat> so these are some of my thoughts today this is what yes thank you <clears throat> this is what um, these sublime states, uh, the ex- experience of them and the practice of them uh, can be like. Um, so d- does anybody have any questions or comments? We have about f- five minutes or so. Hi, my name's Elizabeth. And hi, Elizabeth. Hi. Um, I was thinking about neuroplasticity when you were talking at, towards the very end, mm-hmm. like uh, con- when you continue to have um, maybe a response of aversion or mm-hmm. shutting out 
or a reactive response that's more um, active, mm-hmm. you know, anger. Then you, if you do it over and over, then you lay down the these pathways, right? That's in, in exactly your right. Response system. So the question is, um, does finding that space between responding uh, in a way that you would rather not? In a way that that what? you know, if you wanted to um, change the way that you habitually respond, um, then you know how do you, where is that path? I mean, I think it's from sitting and, and meditation sometimes, and you mm-hmm. just are analyzing. But I'm not really. I'm always I'm interested, you know, on helpful tips of how to get out of old bad habits. Uh huh. So. <laughs> So just in general, how to get out of all bad habits. Is that, that or works. do you have something specific? Well, I don't want to go into my, you know, my personal bio. Okay, but sure. When I'm meditating, for example, uh, go, you know, I tend to go to these dark places from something that maybe has happened in the past and, or relationships or divorces. And um, mm-hmm. so, you know, I, I get tired of that. Um, mm-hmm. pattern of going there and feeling uh, my habitual response which is being upset or feeling remorse or, or mm-hmm. re-examining what happened you know looping through it yet for the millionth time and so sure. yeah 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 sure so so that's <laughs> So when I started this, I referred to them as these sublime states. And sometimes to even refer to them as that, it's, it sounds more like fairy tale than, than real possibility. <laughs> because when we're sitting and meditating and these old patterns are showing up and repeating themselves and we feel somehow um, caught by them, you know, I think... I think that a lot of people share the same thing that you're describing, you see? And then all of this sounds really nice and fine, but what do you do when you're in the middle of something that's challenging, right? So the first, the first thing I would say is the cultivation of mindfulness will allow us to see that experience as it is when it's happening. You see? We really do want to have something be different than it is, but in fact, we're ruminating. And while we don't want to ruminate, we're judging ourselves for ruminating, making it even worse, right? You see? And... And, and that's, but that's the truth. That's where it is. So it's very humbling to recognize that we know better and still we do it. You see? So mindfulness might show that to us. But compassion will see the distress that's created there, the suffering that's created, our own suffering. You know, see, we, we see how how 
caught we are. You see? And we're reacting to being caught. You see? And we see that we're reacting to being caught. I mean, we see the whole thing. <laughs> but what do we do? How? And we play that over and over and over again. So how... But it's the seeing of it and it's the recognition of the hurt that can allow the heart to open with a compassionate response. Mindfulness will also see that when the heart opens, in order to open the heart for a compassionate response, we also feel vulnerable, exposed. So we'll begin to see the patterns and strategies that we use to guard ourselves when that opening happens. You're tracking with me. I th- so. Yeah, good. So we'll also, we'll also see the strategies that we use. And, and those strategies are probably rooted in history. And they probably have strong neural networks that are being activated over and over and over again. And so through the meditation, we've begun to see things that we didn't see before, but we're still caught by, even though we're seeing at a certain level, we, we might still feel caught, you see, or we might still actually be caught, you see. So part of it is respecting ourselves enough to allow ourselves to be human, to know that we're doing the best that we can We really are. We're doing the best that we can, especially if we're trying to train the mind to look at these things honestly and and allow the heart to be touched. And to recognize that with time, gradually, just like the body will heal a bruise or a wound if left to its own devices and we don't get in there and muck around with it too much, the heart can heal the psychological and psychic wounds and traumas that we carry with us in time, gradually. Most of this doesn't, it doesn't happen like in a, it's not a one-shot deal. So I want to just say one final thing that could be useful and and not just for you, but for anyone. When we're present with ourselves, when, when we have a sense of, of uh, being safe, uh, being uh, balanced, being in balance with ourselves, you see? Uh, when <laughs> when th- on a good day, we're good. Right, that's a low pressure situation. Everything's fine. We feel safe. We feel secure. Things are normal. Everything is going well, and and we're sort of there. It's not like we're being challenged by something that's causing us to ruminate or to worry or to be anxious. You see, so when we fall out of balance. We're desperately trying to find our way back to balance 
in all this reactivity. We don't normally, we don't know that because it's so automatic, it's so reactive. But we're trying to find our way back. And somehow or another, the strategies that we have work well enough for us, we think, that we just fall into those strategies over and over again. We, we just fall into them. It's like, this is how we fix the situation. You see, this is how we fix the situation. But when we're out here and we're in free fall, it's not so easy to have a skillful response. You see? And when you can appreciate that when you're in free fall, and truly it's not so easy to have a skillful response, we can stop imposing this high bar on ourselves. We can treat ourselves with some friendliness. We know, okay, when we come back into balance, we'll see things more clearly. And eventually we'll, we'll be able to learn how when we, we fall off our balance beam, how, what the process of getting back onto our balance beam is like and what it's like when we're on the balance beam. Because it's qualitatively and unmistakably different than when we're in free fall reacting, trying to fix something that's disturbing us. And the, the, the response of compassion or loving kindness is, compassion is appropriate <laughs> when, when we're in re- free fall and trying to come back. But this, that response, that feeling is also unmistakable. We know what it's like to feel compassion. You know that compassion holds the truth of the free fall. It doesn't deny any part of it, but the power of it is it brings us back into balance. It heals. So thank you for your question and thank you all for for um, having me here while Andrea is away. Thank you, my friend. Have a wonderful day. <laughs>